Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 5 of Thomson Reuters' Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Now, today I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Helen Chan and Todd Errett to discuss the wide-ranging implications for financial services firms and indeed their compliance officers arising from antitrust issues. Antitrust rules and requirements around the world are all aimed at preventing anti-competitive behaviour and any possible abuse of what's perceived to be a dominant market position. Now, antitrust can impact financial services firms in several different ways. Perhaps the most obvious direct impact is when the financial services firms themselves act as a cartel or abuse their position, and then they are sanctioned with often really pretty large fines. Now, I'll go into that a little bit more detail. There's been three, four very recent fines coming out of Europe on that. Financial services firms are also often impacted when technology firms face antitrust enforcement action. We'll discuss cases in both Asia and the US. Digital transformation in financial services is closely tied to emerging technology companies, and that is in addition to the more direct threat to financial services firms from the potential disruption from big tech, and that's the likes of Apple and Alibaba. Other aspects we will consider include data, its possible use and abuse in a dominant market position, and its emergence as a systemic risk in its own right. We'll also then touch on concentration risk, and that comes from both the use of the cloud. You may have seen the reports very recently where an element of cloud provision fell over and a huge number of websites stopped working for half an hour or so. And that though those are the big websites like Amazon and the BBC. And then also we will touch on concentration of ownership. So without further ado, Helen, what is the antitrust landscape looking like in Asia? Hi, Susanna. So there are regional differences within each jurisdiction, but overall there is growing awareness of anti-competitive behavior and regulators are paying more attention to enforcement. Competition law is comparatively new to some jurisdictions in Asia. For example, Thailand and Vietnam each implemented their respective competition regimes less than five years ago. Other jurisdictions have updated existing frameworks. These include Japan, which recently introduced leniency in exchange for cooperation, and China, where recent amendments to the anti-monopoly law have led to a spike in enforcement against tech companies mainly over abuse of dominant market position and misuse of data to restrict competition. Interestingly, big and small companies have been targeted, and this boils down to how Chinese regulators define market dominance. We're seeing regulators use different kinds of data to determine market dominance. They're looking at big companies that hold a lot of market power, as well as small businesses that are dominant in niche markets. For example, in April, a food delivery platform called Sherpas was fined 1.16 million yuan or approximately 178,000 US dollars for violations of the anti-monopoly law. The amount of the fine is small, but it actually represented about 3% of the company's domestic revenues for 2018. 
There are a few practices that are on the enforcement radar of Chinese regulators at the moment. And these include exclusivity agreements that are imposed on merchants or vendors. This is actually quite a common practice among tech companies in China. And now it is also becoming quite a significant legal and regulatory risk. Regulators have said that companies could be targeted even in the absence of market dominance because they consider these agreements to constitute unfair competition. One other practice that regulators have really been focusing on is what is referred to as the wall garden or where situations where companies wall off their own product ecosystem um, to restrict competition and restrict competitors from, from accessing their product ecosystem. Both Alibaba and Tencent have been cited by Chinese regulators for this practice. Helen, thank you very much indeed. Um, Todd, is it a similar picture in the US? Has the US taken a similar stance as Asia, China in particular? Um, the simple answer is yes, um, very similar. Um, the emphasis um, in the US, I think, um, really has been on big tech. Um, most interestingly, or most importantly, probably the big case um, has been Epic Games versus uh, Apple, which Tim Cook was actually in the courtroom and testified here a few weeks ago. Um, the case really stems from Apple's dominant position with the App Store, and they're thus uh, taking a 30% cut of all the revenues that flow through the App Store. Um, Epic Games um, is a video game maker, um, and they own the, the world's most popular title, uh, I think Fortnite um, is the name of it. And they, they have challenged Apple, um, that Apple essentially it doesn't deserve 30% of all of their revenues. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting case um, in that App Store really centers in several other cases. Um, the, the EU and Spotify have challenged Apple on, on similar grounds related to Apple Music and uh, their, their insistence on use of the App Store and the 30% um, cut. Um, Apple's defense um, has been basically, we need the apps, we developed it, it's our platform and it must be used for security purposes and you know, privacy issues and everything else. And I think they've given a compelling, um, maybe technological argument. However, from an anti-competitiveness standpoint, um, I think most people in America, lawmakers including, um, and most lawyers uh, in the space, you know, undoubtedly question um, the dominant position that, you know, Google, Amazon, Apple, and Facebook have basically established, um, each in their own niche areas. Um, there have also been several cases again brought against Facebook. Um, I think 40 different states, along with the Federal Trade Commission, have sued Facebook over anti-competitive practices, where over the years, any uh, competing social media platform that really gets to any relevant size or scale has been bought by um, Facebook. And then the sheer data um, and the power of the platform, um, I think, is concerning to a lot of people on a lot of levels. Um, there has been a little bit of a political aspect to it. Um, 
that dates back to the elections and there's debate over, you know, were they potentially censoring some candidates versus others and free speech. And like I said, there's, there's a whole host of different angles that uh, get, get tied into these arguments. Um, very interesting. And, and coincidentally, yesterday, the New York State Senate passed a antitrust bill. Um, it will then go to the General Assembly and to the governor for signature, and it's believed to probably pass there. It, it attempts to basically put the brakes on uh, or limit the power of some of the big tech companies. It may be um, kind of um, the template that is used by either the federal government or other states to also bring suits. So in the U.S., the picture, like I said, is really muddy with a lot of cases and a lot of things happening all surrounding you know, the big tech space predominantly. Um, and I know we're going to talk about it a little later, that the concern really then boils to, um, uh, let's say, national security and market dominance from a, from a cloud infrastructure. And uh, we go down a whole bunch of different other um, you know, areas of discussion as to why these are important um, challenges. Thank you. I mean, yes, I mean, really important challenges. And the threat from big tech with their data dominance and their customer interaction they already have really can't be underestimated in terms of a potential um, disruptive force, shall we say, for financial services firms. So to complete, if you like, the geographic picture, Europe has actually done a whole cluster of enforcement actions really quite recently, very much focused on bond trading and bond trading cartels, where firms and their traders were colluding on prices and trading and really uh, anti-competitive markets. Now, there are two key issues, really, for firms to consider. One is the sheer size of the fines. We are talking hundreds of millions of euros. Um, and one sort of tweak on that is that the firm that discloses the cartel to the European Commission, whilst they are excluded from the fines, they are still deemed to have breached the rules. So they save on the hundreds of millions of euro fine, but they don't get... Um, at, off scot-free, they are still deemed to have breached the rules. Now, the reason that is important is there is a trailing liability associated with all of this, such that any person or firm affected by anti-competitive behaviour is able to take the matter before the courts of the European member states and critically seek damages. Now, it's a matter of case law that you can use the decision that the commission said, the likes of Bank of America, Nataxis, Nomura, RBS, UBS, Unicredit, West LB, ICAP, there is a shopping list of firms that have been um, found in breach of antitrust. A commission decision constitutes binding proof that antitrust, anti-competitive behaviour took place and was therefore illegal. And the European Commission is sufficiently interested, let's put it that way, for firms to claim damages that they've actually put into law an antitrust damages directive specifically designed to make it easier for victims of anti-competitive practices to obtain damages. So just as one example, 
purchases of European government bonds between 2007 and 2011 may wish to consider action for damages and utilise they've got a practical guide on how to quantify antitrust harm. So some financial services firms may well have bought those bonds and may well wish to go down that route. Equally, a lot of other firms will have traded in government bonds or bonds more generally and may well need to look very closely at whether or not they could be perceived to be in a cartel or some sort of collusion, anti-competitive, abusive, dominant market position. It's an area where compliance officers really do need to be on their toes. And it's an area where if you get it wrong, it's extraordinarily expensive, potentially. So how else can the ramifications from a possibly over-dominant market position arise. Helen, systemic risk on data, where are we with that? Ownership concentration, lots of issues to consider. Definitely. For companies that have a dominant market position, using data, especially market data and data on consumer trends in order to research competition could be quite problematic. Tech companies are under the microscope because of how fast they can grow into a dominant position and also the vast amounts of data that they hold from their online to offline businesses, as you and Todd have both touched on. So in this context, um, financial services firms that move into the fintech space should expect some scrutiny as well. And as we've seen with enforcement actions um, in China, especially against Sherpa, Regulators in China have focused on misuse of data, even in niche or smaller markets. Separately, overall systemic vulnerabilities connected to data are a growing concern, especially for Chinese regulators. We see this reflected in regulatory amendments to data privacy laws that specifically target how companies use data and increased enforcement action against the misuse of data, either in an anti-competitive context or a data privacy one. Separately, across Southeast Asia, the merger between Grab and Uber in 2018 actually highlighted enforcement issues against large multinational tech companies that occupy dominant positions across different jurisdictions. So in Vietnam and Philippines at the time, the regulators claimed that Grab and Uber had failed to notify them of the merger, and both regulators initiated reviews. However, the Philippines Competition Commission struggled to get the companies to comply with the orders. After they initiated the review, the commission ordered Uber to maintain its pre-merger setup, but Uber responded by shutting its operations and directing riders to sign up with Grab. The combination of data between Grab and Uber was also scrutinized. The Competition and Consumer Commission of Singapore, they approved the merger, but they also imposed restrictions that barred Grab from taking over trip history data from Uber. And this was actually the first time the regulator had imposed these kinds of restrictions. So overall, we see that these types of mega mergers between market dominant companies are testing antitrust frameworks and also the enforcement powers of regulators. One takeaway that we can take away from the uh, Grab and Uber merger is that we should expect to see more cooperation and information sharing between Southeast Asian regulators on competition issues going forward. 
And now separately in Hong Kong, the Competition Commission took action against an IT service provider for bid rigging a couple of years ago. This is reflective of a growing interest in anti-competitive conduct concerning IT infrastructure and also the broader impact that this type of misconduct could have on industries that are heavily dependent on technology, with financial services, of course, being one of them. So this is something that is worth noting for businesses that are operating in places where there might only be one or two IT service providers that dominate the market. And um, one more thing to point out, I think, is uh, investments by large tech companies is an emerging area of scrutiny for regulators, both from a managerial control perspective, as well as whether data could be shared amongst the large tech companies and the businesses that they invest in, in order to shut competitors out. Interesting. I mean, data is turning out to be a real thread throughout all of this. And just the sheer value in data, I think, is certainly coming to the fore. Um, Todd, we, we've touched on cloud concentration already, but what's the direction of travel regulatory wise? Where are the regulators with regard to possible concentration risk with regard to the cloud? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, thanks, uh, Susanna. I, I wanted to just uh, circle back real quick um, when you were talking about collusion and trading and uh, particularly on the bond trading before I get into the cloud. Um, interestingly, um, something that's very similar that happened in the U.S. with the financial services regulators um, centered around municipal bond trading. Um and it was uh, several cases were brought in 2018 up until I think 2020, where the municipal securities markets in the United States um, is highly concentrated. And if you think about it, there's really only major one major Wall Street bank that uh, does most of the underwriting for small municipal municipalities. Uh, and you're talking about local schools and local, you know, rec centers and municipal bond offerings that are often small in scale, let's say 10, 20, 50 million dollar or, you know, small issuances. Um, UBS has been the biggest and dominant player in that space. Um, there are rules and regulations um, set forth by the by the MSRB, which is the Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board. Um, which is kind of a branch of the SEC that determines um, or requires underwriters when they do an offering to distribute the bonds widely and you know relatively uh, equally to uh, with preference to retail individual investors. Um, several of the firms colluded along with UBS. Um, according to recent settlement offers or settlement uh, cases to essentially distribute the bonds, park them with a trading counterparty, and they called it flipping or parking or warehousing temporarily um, before the bonds then got resold to, let's say, the larger um, institutional community, which it's a challenge structurally for, let's say, the big bond managers that are trying to accumulate, you know, and end up buying up most of these issuances. Um, the retail guys often got shut out, um, but the fines were all over the place. The biggest fine was $10 million to UBS. Um, 
for you know this practice that has really gone on for a long time. Um, but it touches exactly on what you were saying was happening there in in in, in Europe, uh, going back with anti-competitive practices, collusions. Mm-hmm. Um, this the, the, this practice certainly has been scrutinized, and uh, you know is is something that's on the regulatory radar. Um, so shifting gears to your question on you know cloud and concentration, I think it's very interesting, and it's a um, big challenge for government uh, to figure out. And a lot of this uh, has really been brought to light recently with ransomware attacks, critical infrastructure, and the question, you know, you have this colonial pipeline hack that occurred and essentially cut off, you know, I think 40% of the East Coast's uh, fuel supplies um, due to, you know, a ransomware attack. Um, It's it raises a lot of questions about concentration, um, you know, let's say, and dominance of, you know, critical infrastructure, which, you know, the internet and the cloud is definitely considered, uh, um, you know, critical infrastructure. In the United States, um, the global, um, or excuse me, the, um, the total spend on cloud infrastructure is broken down roughly 32% to Amazon Web Services. Um, I think Microsoft and Azure is around 19%, Google at 7%, Alibaba and IBM at 6 or 7% apiece. So between you know, only a very small handful of companies, you're now well in excess of 70% of all cloud activity and all cloud infrastructure spend is really heavily dependent on a handful of companies. Um, we saw just recently all these websites crashed uh, the other day due to another player, which is really kind of a uh, not a well-known company called Fastly that um, caused all these websites to go down. Um, I think that's a slightly different argument. It, um, you know, the fact that the BBC and the New York Times and some of the media new, media and news outlets um, went down momentarily or, or temporarily. Um, it, it, it highlights the risk that really what Fastly does, there's only two or three other companies that do it. And a lot of media companies are dependent on their technology. Um, is it... It didn't cause lines lines at the gas pumps, or it didn't shut down critical infrastructure in the United States, such as power grid or something like that. But people were unable to check their morning news. Um, but it, it 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 is interesting and it's noteworthy. Um, I think Congress is going to continue to look at these things, um, and they're going to study them very closely. Um, and I think. Any and all mergers going forward um, will will probably be more heavily scrutinized as a result of it. Um, shifting gears back to the collusion and or bond trading and or manipulation that has occurred um, related to municipal bonds, that, that has also been under scrutiny ever since the financial crisis. If we go back to LIBOR bid rigging, um, it, that has now been in the works for more than 10 years, you know, to ultimately get rid of LIBOR and go with something 
different and the transition is occurring. So these are big challenges with not easy fixes often that take a long time for, for uh, regulators and companies to, to resolve. Picking up on the cloud concentration, can you foresee a time when the regulator says to, oh, I don't know, Goldman Sachs, no, you can't use Amazon Web Services because there's too many people already using or too many banks already using Amazon Web Services? I, I believe that the, the, the largest banks in the United States have already um, proactively gotten ahead of that potential you know, mandate, and I would assume that the regulators are already looking at it. You know, during their routine exams and uh, and things like that, um, I, I can just about guarantee you that you know the, the largest bank is not one hundred percent dependent upon AWS. They they've got redundancies, and yeah. and in, and in fact, you know it, that that would just be um, you know it would be insane, and it would just not be. Um, not be prudent in any way, shape, or form for, you know, one of the G stiffies, for example, to be fully dependent upon, you know, one service provider. They, mm. um, and in fact, many of them have, uh, and thankfully, uh, I would say most of the f- largest financial services firms have done a very, very good job um, in this space. Um, it, oftentimes, these breaches or hacks or um, things. Um, have happened to smaller um, entities. Um, the the biggest firms, at least from a U.S. perspective, I think have done a pretty good job of uh, of not being totally dependent on you know one service provider and or you know have really done a pretty good job of protecting uh, their customers and and data. You know you, you do see the the breaches. Uh, you know Equifax was a real big one a few years ago, um, but uh, you know from what I can tell and what I hear, you know, secondarily and anecdotally, I think the firms are doing a pretty good job in that space because they know it's it's critical information. Mm. Yeah, I mean, certainly in Europe, they are talking about the regulators, that is, are talking about the possible need to uh, be informed of and then have the ability to get firms to move if they feel there is over concentration in a particular area of the cloud? I, I, I would say also um, the, the pandemic and the shift to work from home from last, last year um, also did, um, you know, raise some awareness within firms um, of, you know, what is our, you know, business continuity plan? What are our backup plans? Um, do we have, you know, the technological capabilities from everybody to come in from remote locations, how secure are they? Um, you know, do we have the resiliency to support, um, you know, such a, a fluent situation as, you know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, the order came, work from home, offices are closed. Um, I, I I think, you know, companies by and large, you know, the largest financial services anyway, um, did, did pretty well and their and their systems worked well um and that's you know that i think they deserve credit for that um and it, regulators obviously um are, are looking at that you know so a company cannot be totally dependent upon one service provider no i think that that's very sound advice um gosh time is running away with us a bit here helen um 
on to the sort of takeaways and please do chime in on the cloud concentration position coming out of Asia. But given the sheer breadth of issues we've covered on, on antitrust as a sort of external threat uh, to financial services firms, what are your key takeaways for people? So I think businesses, including financial services firms, really do need to be aware of how competition laws are enforced in different jurisdictions especially when it comes to investing in fintech, simply because it's a space that is under so much regulatory scrutiny at the moment. Going back to concentration risks in the cloud and IT infrastructure, certainly this also needs to be considered. Um, After the concentration risk kind of issues that have been raised by the recent outage at Fastly, this may be something that will be on the radar for regulators. Certainly Todd has has mentioned that Congress might be paying closer attention in the U.S. So this means I think that due diligence um, considering concentration risk prior to making IT investments will gradually become more important. Finally, I also think that businesses need to pay close attention to antitrust risks from combining data in M&A, again, especially in the fintech center and especially for finance and tech combinations, because they're going to be under so much scrutiny um, from regulators, especially regulators in China and Singapore, as we've seen. Thank you very much. I, I, I will just chime in as a takeaway on the whole cartels piece with regard to the use of chat rooms. The excuse me, the series of very large fines for bond trading cartels coming out of the commission were all pre-pandemic. Now, those cartels therefore were operating while those traders were in their offices. We have just come, we are coming-ish out of an era where those traders were working from home. So if you are a compliance officer, you need line of sight to what is going on. You need to have policies, procedures, and training around the use of chat rooms, around the use of other communication apps. Now, I know one suggestion has been made, oh, well, ban the use of chat rooms. Well, yeah, nuclear option, but that actually misses the point. If you ban the use of something, they'll, uh, traders will find another way around it. You have to have the monitoring capacity and capability to know what your traders are doing when and where. So you, as head of compliance, can have line of sight to whether or not possible collusion, a possible cartel is happening. Also in that space is the fact for just simple market abuse um, and the use of chat rooms to enable market abuse. Here in the UK, the Financial Conduct Authority published Market Watch 66 and talked about exactly that and the increased risk for traders being at home. So it's a real challenge for compliance, and I wouldn't underestimate some of the technological challenges in getting that line of sight, but it's certainly something you need to think of, particularly if you think there might be collusion cartels and then the potential for antitrust enforcement. So, Todd, takeaways from your perspective on all things antitrust? Um. I, obviously, big tech is uh, squarely in the crosshairs. Um, you know, I, how they prevail or what they inevitably do, you know, either from, you know, a courtroom perspective or a potential, you know, congressional lawmaking perspective remains to be seen. 
Um, you know, if you think back years ago, uh, whether it was Microsoft or some of the other uh, big cases, um, it, it, these, from a lawsuit perspective, um, it takes a long time. Um, it, I think to regulate or and or for Congress to call for a breakup from a monopoly perspective um, w- will not be an easy thing to do. Um, however, I, I think all companies need to be cognizant of, you know, the overlap in these areas um, and the heightened scrutiny and awareness that is now out there, whether it's data privacy or misuse of data or dominant market position or, um, you know, from a critical infrastructure standpoint, um, all of these things are are front and center now with lawmakers and, you know, and uh, lawyers and, uh, you know, the, the Federal Trade Commission, the regulators, et cetera. Um, the financial services specifically, uh, the, the CFTC in the U.S. really, um, I think, did a very good job the last several years looking very closely at, at spoofing and market manipulation. Um, once they figured it out and uh, they, they realized how easy it is to detect and the cases were as we use the term, they were slam dunks. They were easy, um, and they brought dozens and dozens of them. Um, so I, I think it's it's a it's a challenge going forward. Um, I, it's it, it's a, a very important um, you know risk for companies that they need to stay on top of. It needs to be front and center in the middle of everything they do from a operational and uh, you know compliance and legal and regulatory perspective. Gosh, heaps to consider there. Thank you so much, Helen. And thank you so much, Todd. And and thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. Now, I'm going to pop links to several articles going into a bit more depth into the episode notes and the usual link for further information on Thomson Reuters regulatory intelligence itself. And as ever, we would very much appreciate it if you could take the time to review the podcast. And please do let us know if you've got any suggestions for future topics. Thank you for listening. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.